dreams to fly in the vast skies. He landed under the waters to become a deep sea diver and a marine commando, where he took exploratory dives with the Archaeological Survey of India to unravel the mysteries of the sunken ships, temples and cities. But for one who is unstoppable, he found a way to achieve his cherished dream. He took to skydiving from 12,000 feet on board aircraft carrier while at sea. Let's meet the three-dimensional man, Captain Suresh Babu, in conversation with Prakriti Agrawal. Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast Call of Duty, Real Soldiers, Real Stories. And today we have a very special guest. He has done it all, from deep diving the underwaters to soaring heights in the sky. Welcome sir. Thank you Prakriti, looking forward to an interesting exchange of uh, views. So sir, first I want to know more about you as a young boy. How were you as a child and what inspired you to join the Indian Armed Forces? Uh, you'll be surprised to know that I was a bookworm who was never run in his life other than for catching a bus. And it was my sister who was the more boisterous one. But we used to go for our holidays to one of my aunt's place, which was next to the Air Force uh, base. And uh, there we used to watch the uh, Kiran training jets practicing. They used to be doing their rolls and dives and vertical charlies. And that was very inspiring. And uh, I was very good at gadgets at home anyway. So to an extent where people used to call me button system. And I think uh, that is what kind of pushed me into joining the National Defense Academy. Amazing. Watching those maneuvers from the terrace every day would surely have been inspiring. But uh, then how did deep sea diving happen? So I joined the academy as an Air Force cadet and went for flying. And uh, they found me a little too dangerous for flying. So I, being an NDA cadet, I could shift to the Navy. And um, from the skies, I went straight underwater. Uh, I didn't want to stay on surface. <laughs> so that's how I opted for diving. Sir, we have learned about the rigorous training that takes to make a submariner from uh, Commander Arun Jyoti in uh, Season 1. Uh, but uh, we would like to hear about a deep sea diver, a marine commando's training. How does that happen? Okay, basically uh, they take you through a phase of uh, getting comfortable with water and uh, which means uh, you have to be a good swimmer you'll have to be physically tough and uh, you should uh, be uh, like a fish in, a, in water you know as comfortable as that so from less depth in a pool they graduate you to uh, an open uh, you know water where in Cochin we have a channel called the Cochin channel and then once you're comfortable in the channel then they take you to the open sea. So initially you do um, diving in compressed air, that is what you and me are breathing. And then as you go deeper, the uh, mixture of gases changes from 80 nitrogen to 20 oxygen, which we are breathing now, to 60 nitrogen and 40 oxygen. 
and as you go deeper more than 55 meters then the mixture changes to 40 oxygen and 60% nitrogen so these are different forms of diving where you have uh, air diving mixture diving and they later on it's called saturation diving so that's how a diver is trained in a graduated manner amazing sir so did you find something like very difficult or challenging during the training or any uh, you know anything that you still remember gives you shivers that i don't know how i accomplished it it is a different medium which we are not you know it's not naturally comes to us because we are used to being on land um i was lucky that i was a uh, born in a city with a sea like chennai and as a kid i used to be in water most of the time so when i started the course i didn't have any problem uh, other than the fact that uh, you know while going down one has to constantly keep clearing his ear so to maintain the pressure from inside your inner ear and outer ear so there are times when we used to uh, force ourselves and go down and that would end up in a very painful evening other than that um, i was uh, fortunate not to have experienced any uh, difficulty in diving so i think sir you were very fortunate but did any other uh, memorable incident happen during the training with your uh, colleague what happens is um, as we go deeper in diving uh, a certain amount of helium is also introduced so we breathe oxy helium and nitrogen and you know helium is uh, can send you it's like a laughing gas so yes it sounds funny yeah uh, so nitrogen itself is a narcotic so there have been times when as we go down our voice becomes very squeaky we all sound like donald duck and we feel like you know you've taken two three pegs of daru kind of a thing and it's actually sends you high as you go down so one has to be very careful that with the onset of nitrogen narcosis you call off your dive and come up <laughs> otherwise you are treading into dangerous territory because one of my buddies almost removed the mask underwater because he became so overconfident because of nitrogen narcosis so we had to immediately abort the dive and come up so did you guys any time take helium uh, pegs and uh, play the donald duck game <laughs> yeah because we what we do is uh, before any deep dive uh, we have put in a chamber called a recompression chamber and you are subjected to pressure so we do a dive up to 15 meters when i say dive up to they increase the pressure of the air to so many bars pressure then the next day we dive up to 25 meters and the next day we dive up to 55 meters and once the body gets accustomed to the depth then you physically go and dive in that depth so when doing these preparatory dives it's a lot of fun because we talk to each other in all these funny voices and uh, the onset of nitrogen narcosis also is fun it's as good as uh, you know going on a binge in goa interesting and uh, i came to know that uh, you know in deep sea diving indian armed forces also helps the archaeology department so could you throw yes, some light on that while uh, our uh, you know operational role is totally different in peace time we do render assistance to the civil government for humanitarian assistance and disaster relief during various natural calamities and also the archaeological survey of india 
and other research agencies uh, anything to do with underwater. That is how the Navy got involved in a whole lot of exploratory dives underwater of ruins and uh, sunken ships. So what exactly do you do and could you share your experience about uh, you know the expedition that uh, took place for uh, Dwarka? Yes ma'am, uh, actually even before I was born uh, uh, exploratory dives had been undertaken and study had been undertaken in 1963 but as uh, um, days went by and the advancement in uh, technology also caught up uh, the uh, Archaeological Survey of India sought the Navy's help to do a lot of dives off the coast of Gujarat, Jamnagar, Kambat uh, Bay, you know, all these places which uh, had signs of a sunken city. And that is how uh, the Navy uh, took on a couple of dives um, in conjunction with the Archaeological Survey of India. Reading your uh, bio, there was something about uh, the exploratory dive on the Ghazi wreck of also. So, could you share your experience on that please? I have dived on Ghazi wreck on, on, uh, on three occasions. Uh, when I was a young lieutenant and then later after as a lieutenant commander and then as a senior commander. This wreck is a very interesting one. It's just about a mile outside Vishakapatnam Harbour at a depth of about 23 to 26 meters. And what struck me in awe was that because she's been lying at the bottom for so many years, uh, it looks like, you know what, Second World War heroes, when they returned to their respective countries, you know, people threw those confettis, you know, those uh, paper and ribbon and everything, and the roads used to be full of these flying things. The wreck looks like that, you know, over so many trawls and fishing nets uh, over and over has got caught in this that it looks like a big whale you know stuck in a series of fishing nets and that was a very awesome sight when we first went for dive but the flip side is it is a nightmare for a diver to go down to the wreck because the visibility is not too good and you get keep getting entangled in these all these nets which are you know on the uh, submarine so it takes quite an effort for you to keep cutting through various layers of fishing nets to finally reach the uh, submarine which is laying at the uh, sea bottom. Sir, just out of curiosity, why uh, do you uh, explore the wreck? Like what is uh, the learning from it? Initially, um, in the 70s when the uh, actual uh, you know accident happened and way back in uh, 1971, during the uh, you know Indo-Pak War, the dive was done probably to establish the fact that yes, it was a Pakistani submarine. So they did bring some uh, written evidence from inside, uh, the signal, the you know certain um, artifacts, things like that. The later dives were more of uh, we were setting up a museum in Vishakhapatnam, a submarine museum. Museum. So we wanted to exhibit some artifacts so some of the dives were done for that and um, the later dives were more uh, of a training uh, dive for our uh, divers and the ships you know to go down to a certain depth and uh, carry out videography and uh, photography and 
um, see how it uh, looks like when you uh, go down to a wreck. And uh, sir, I know uh, you were not, uh, you know, qualified to become the Air Force officer and you had to shift to become the deep sea diver. But then again, you took up uh, skydiving. So how did that happen? See, I was always meant to be in the sky and I used to always have this constant dialogue with uh, the Almighty that he's been so unfair, making me two-dimensional, you know, he didn't allow me to fly. It's only when I took to skydiving that I realized that he had made a provision. It is just that I didn't exploit it. So when I got this opportunity uh, as a Marine commando uh, to uh, skydive, we call it combat freefall because we don't do it just for pleasure. We do it as serious business. So that is when I took back to the air and became a skydiver. The thought of a free fall is scary. <laughs> Uh, but uh, could you explain for uh, me as well as our listeners, uh, what exactly is a free fall? So what happens is in normal parachuting, uh, there is a cord which is uh, hooked on to the aircraft. And uh, when you jump out, this cord gets released and the, the cord keeps pulling out a drogue parachute. And then it puts out the main parachute and the parachute opens. That is normal para jumping. But in free fall or skydiving, you don't open the parachute. You just jump out and assume the Dhanushasan position, you know, and keep falling at a rate of 300 feet per second. And at around 3000 feet or 3500 feet, you have to open the parachute yourself. So that is why it's called a free fall from the time you jump out to the time you actually open the parachute. My God. And, uh, if somebody forgets to open it in time. <laughs> uh, of course, it being an extreme sport, they do have a fallback system. We have a reserve parachute which is inside the main parachute. And there's an automatic opening device which actually is a sensor of altitude and rate of fall. So if you've not opened your par parachute before the uh, planned height, at the preset height, the uh, AUD, automatic opening device, will trigger the uh, reserve parachute and the reserve parachute will open. Thank God for the automation in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, are, uh, some are hydrostatic and some are uh, you know, built in with a capsule uh, which explodes with a little explosive. Um, in both ways, uh, it has been... Uh, 100% successful because I have not uh, lost any of my buddies uh, while uh, combat free fall till date. Right, right. So, could you tell your experience like how does it feel when you are falling down at this speed? Like I cannot imagine myself. I can't even sit on a roller coaster so I am not at all built in for uh, the extreme sports. But uh, I can at least listen to your experience. See, from the time you exit you know, it is like uh, the best experience you can ever have on earth because you have this, uh, you know, three-dimensional movement, you know, where a slight movement of your finger or your toe or the arching of your body can steer you to a particular direction. So you can do somersaults, you can glide, you can go and hold on to someone, you can make formations, you can fall upside down, you can fall straight. 
it is the ultimate sense of freedom one can ever have even i cannot put it in words myself because it is euphoria it is ecstasy it is uh, the best experience one can ever have <laughs> i would suggest that everybody alive should at least once in their lifetime experience uh, skydive wow i i don't know if i can take that advice sir but <laughs> tell me how is it different from the deep sea diving like you have done the deep sea diving going completely underwater and now uh, you know falling off from the sky so how are both experiences different or similar in um, skydiving you are uh, jumping from a height which has got less pressure and coming towards the earth which has got more pressure so it, while diving it is the other way around you are at one bar pressure on surface and as you go every 8 meters the pressure on your body keeps increasing so it is totally a, a reverse phenomenon from being uh, you know subjected to pressure to being relieved of pressure but in both cases the uh, feeling of three dimensional movement is Uh, similar uh, because you you are not restricted to a two dimensional movement it is a three dimensional movement so in some ways they both are different while underwater it's the constant uh, pressure on your system uh, and you are dependent on uh, artificial air to breathe while in skydiving till about 20000 feet it's only when you go beyond 12000 feet that you need a breathing apparatus so these are the kind of uh, differences and similarities between diving and skydiving sir i know you have two records in the limca book of records please tell us about that experience yeah yeah see um, unlike in the uh, um, combat uh, dive you know jump what happens is when you need to uh, move as a team uh, it is better to be in close formation and exit together and um, glide through the air and reach a particular target and then uh, land together you know so that you don't get dispersed too far so this can be done in two ways high altitude low opening that is you open low and land or high altitude high opening where the moment you jump you open your parachute and all of you fly together like a convoy and you can traverse even about 20 30 kilometers and then land at a pre designated target so all this can be done in a formation also so that is how we did a, a three way formation when i was in uh, vishakhapatnam on one of the night jumps together so that is how the uh, limca book record came for the, the first uh, formation night sky dive uh, so sir i'll just go back a little bit and uh, would like yeah. to ask you again about your deep sea diving experience so yeah. uh, since the movie has released i have still not watched it ram setu but i came to know that you have seen ram setu so could you just share that experience and what is it like yeah uh, post uh, the um, sri lankan operation the peacekeeping operation Uh, we were all deployed there to you know assist uh, in a whole lot of uh, you know rehabilitation process which started and uh, i was uh, posted almost uh, on three occasions there uh, for a sufficient duration of time where we were testing the hovercrafts 
So we had these one-man hovercrafts and we used to extensively fly over this area. When you say hover over this area. And it's a beautiful, uh, you know, wonder uh, of wonderful formation uh, where it extends to about, uh, if I'm not wrong, 65 plus kilometers from Danishkodi to Talai Mannar. <coughs> and it's a chain of uh, uh, floating rocks, you can say. Uh, the formation is about at places uh, two to three kilometers wide. So that is the magnitude of this particular uh, Ram Setu, which um, is uh, in the modern world called Adam's Bridge. So this formation is uh, full of shifting sands, you can say, or shifting rocks. And uh, in low water, one can walk up to almost uh, one or two kilometers. I think people are permitted to walk in to that uh, place. It is a, a engineering marvel, I would say. Wow. So, uh, does it look then man-made or uh, does it look like a natural uh, formation? Now, I have not done diving there in particular. I have swam that area. I have uh, been in boats. I have been in hovercrafts over that area. And it looks like a continuous stretch of, uh, you know, man-made structure because I don't think so uh, natural formation would uh, be, you know, this way. To my, uh, if you ask me, I would say it has been you know, made by humans. <laughs> and uh, uh, did you see Ram written on the floating rocks? <laughs> no, no, no. I've seen these rocks because a lot of these uh, temples in that area have uh, these floating rocks uh, displayed. Apparently, these are volcanic rocks which uh, have trapped in, you know, um, spaces inside where uh, it causes the buoyancy of the rocks and it floats. Oh, okay. Also, please share, like, uh, because I am from Bhopal and uh, uh, there is a myth that there is a, you know, complete city under the uh, big lake, the upper lake in Bhopal. And I always had this urge to find out and see that city. So, you have actually explored the entire uh, sunken temples of Dwarka and Mahabalipuram. Please share, like, what did you see and uh, how was that expedition? Yeah, in Dwarka, what we actually saw was, you know, these uh, round, flat uh, stone structures, probably, you know, the bottom of a flagstaff. Then we found these, uh, you know, triangular uh, structures, which could have been anchors. Then uh, we had also found a whole lot of walls, a whole lot of, you know, structured, uh, you know, layout which um, kind of appears to be a port city you know where extensive uh, ships used to come and anchor and uh, people used to go in and out because if we also recovered uh, some kind of a you know token which you would need to enter the harbor you know? it's like currency not exactly uh, coins but you know what you would issue for someone to you know in a say like um, in a race they give you tokens for your when you turn around you know for your laps something like that so these look like a very busy port city that's that's what dwarka looked like mahabalam was a well laid out small city you can say a temple city because you could see foundation of five more temples in that area see two are visible on land 
and we uh, i think uh, it almost came to about five including the uh, foundations which we later discovered along the beach also so both uh, indicate uh, the presence of uh, port cities in both dwarka and in mahabalipuram sir i know uh, army and navy many times work hand in hand so uh, could you tell us about the joint naval and army operations that uh, uh, you have done i had some very interesting jobs some of them uh, i will not be able to openly discuss in this forum uh, somalia was a interesting uh, task when the ships and the aircrafts were uh, leaving somalia with the uh, un peacekeeping army you know our indian army so they were very vulnerable for an attack from the lo- local militia so the harbor was connected by a road to the nearest town where we were expecting a wave of attack to come in so my job was to um, mine that full road and blow it up so that if someone comes to attack we could gain that much time so i was there for almost a month every day uh, you know uh, fixing explosives all along the road and when the ships and the aircrafts left we were just about uh, 16 of us left behind in somalia uh, you know uh, waiting for uh, the ships to come out to safety and then the helicopters landed to pick us up so those few uh, moments when we were just all alone with no backup you know uh, you can't see enemy territory but in a very volatile territory where uh, any the local militia groups would have just decided to you know move in and attack so that was an interesting uh, situation in somalia assam was a very different ball game uh, i actually went for uh, recovery of arms and ammunition which the ulfa terrorists had uh, hidden in various uh, rivers and ponds and lakes in plastic uh, covers with grease for using it later and uh, what turned out to be a one week uh, search became three months because the quantity which we pulled out was so much so we shifted from one city to another city to another city to another it was uh, interesting uh, <laughs> that was uh, how it was in assam those days sri lanka was uh, home territory i'm a tamil myself and uh, it was easy for me and my team to you know Uh, become one in the jungles with the uh, you know militant groups and uh, we had very interesting operations there though <clears throat> in hindsight i feel we could have kept away from it because we lost a lot of our friends there for uh, no fault of ours jammu kashmir is a ongoing operation so uh, it would not be correct on my part to comment on that um, i can just say that we are there with the army assisting them in uh, you know countering uh, the uh, insurgency there and had quite a lot of successes there and we are basically there because uh, there's a big uh, lake there which is about 200 square miles big and uh, army needs uh, as marine commandos who are more comfortable you know in water so i've been there on a couple of occasions myself and uh, beautiful place it's heaven on earth and everyone should visit that place absolutely sir and uh, you also did uh, relief operations for tsunami 
Yeah, part of the charter of the Navy is to provide uh, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief during various natural calamities. And um, every year, almost, uh, our diving teams are deployed in various states uh, for uh, rendering assistance during floods and you know calamities like this. So I've been part of um, quite a few uh, you know relief operations like the mega cyclone in uh, Orissa, Bihar, the incessant floods in Andhra Pradesh and Tamil Nadu, uh, and my last posting uh, in the state of uh, Goa and Maharashtra and Karnataka. And during tsunami, of course, off the coast of Tamil Nadu. So our teams um, uh, use rubber dinghies and uh, with the liaison with the local uh, police and uh, the NDR of the National Disaster Relief guys. We um, basically pull out people from uh, low-lying areas to, you know, safer places. Then provide them food and uh, shelter uh, till the water starts draining out. So, uh, sir, I know uh, you are trained for all kind of, uh, uh, you know, situations, but uh, did it any time become uh, very overwhelming for you when you saw so much of havoc around you? Yeah, it is difficult because uh, you are dealing with death and uh, uh, how dispassionate can one be when you are holding a young dead daughter or a son and handing over the body to the parents, you know, or the other way around. So it used to be uh, quite traumatic because uh, flood relief, um, especially in Andhra, you know, we, we used to be in a dinghy with a police officer with a list of dead bodies in each house. So you put on your diving set, go into the house and bring out dead bodies and hand over to their relatives. And day in and day out you do it, you know, it kind of weighs on your mind for months on end. During this is during the flood relief operations and natural calamity. On the other side, when you go in for an actual operation and you lose a buddy right in front of your eyes and your arms, oh, that is something which you can never get over. And one can not even imagine that. So yeah. So again, coming back to your extreme sports, like uh, doing all these things, is your family okay or supportive? Now that you ask this question, my wife was so against skydiving from day one and she objected to every single jump of mine and I managed to finish about 380 jumps and uh, <laughs> she even wrote anti-skydiving articles in a naval magazine called Virangana, you know. Uh, her <laughs> premise was that while I am uh, doing a jump and coming and landing in front of uh, five lakh strong uh, you know, people during an operational demo on Navy Week, for everybody else I could be Shahrukh Khan, but for her till that parachute opens, she says, I am holding my heart in my hand because what if it doesn't open? So it's like every time you jump, I am going through that you know emotional stress and it's just not fair. But then when she married me, she knew what she was walking into. Our unit's name is INS Abhimanyu. You know Abhimanyu's story. It's one-way traffic. So we tell people that coming back is bonus. So when you join you know, Marine Commandos, uh, it is a one-way traffic. So when you pick up your partner, when you have your children, please tell them that. That that is how life is going to be. And so I think the kids and the families have grown up with that. And In fact, they are more commandos than we are. 
because uh, <laughs> we are doing what we like best <laughs> you are doing it because you like it but they don't even like it but still they have to bear with it <laughs> no over a period of time they have also started liking it they know the risks involved so hats off to every forgy family not just mine a big salute from uh, call of duty also to all the forgy wives and to all the forgy families so sir uh, when was your last jump <laughs> you will be surprised that uh, the day of my retirement uh, my farewell was uh, five jumps and into my commando base so i didn't i didn't go for a party but i went for jumps so we were uh, i went to vishakhapatnam my uh, parent unit ins karn and me and my family were hosted over two days and uh, we did jumps uh, and landed right in front of the uh, you know unit on the beach and when i landed then we had the party there so that is how crazy <laughs> you guys are <laughs> i think that was a perfect uh, you know farewell for you because that gives you a high <laughs> when we are doing all these uh, you know uh, extreme sports we are all addicted to uh, speed and thrill and the adrenaline you know uh, gushing out so sir i got one very important message from you for the youth that you know if you really want that adrenaline uh, rush or the high do extreme sports rather than uh, getting into drugs or any kind of uh, you know narcotics but uh, any other uh, special message for our youth and our listeners yes yes of course you know uh, youth are in a very uh, crucial stage in the life where the decisions they make today is what is going to make a difference tomorrow so uh, as takeaway i would tell them that they should bear three things in mind one learn to dream it's only if you dream that you can make your dreams come true second give yourself 100 marks every morning when you get up stand in front of the mirror look at yourself and give you 100 marks yourself nobody else is going to give you 100 marks so once you give yourself 100 marks you can walk with your head held high over your shoulder and walk in to face any difficulty on earth there's nothing that you cannot achieve and remember that you have been put on this earth to make a difference so if you can keep these things three things in mind i'm sure every youth will be very successful thank you sir it was great talking to you if you like our podcast do subscribe and let us know your thoughts on podcast call of duty@gmail.com Thank you.